What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Monkey Finance Show podcast. And today we're going to be recording episode number 60. Boy, it feels good to be back uh, here with you on the podcast. Um, it's been a while. I've uh, just completed the move. Got everything almost uh, situated where it needs to go. But you know how it is with moving. Sometimes you still got boxes uh, left to unpack. But today's episode, I'm going to talk to you about the road to financial freedom. Uh, this is that triangle that I shared um, a few weeks ago, I think, on YouTube. Shared it with the private member community as well. Um, in the process of writing my book, I keep uh, trying to simplify the steps or the path needed to get to financial freedom, right? And and financial freedom is a generic word. Um, could be swapped out for financial independence. It could be swapped out for having enough money to do whatever the F you want to do, right? That's what I call it. Um, and the road to get there is, is a pretty simple road. Um, there's a few things you need to know and a few things you need to do right and really ignore everything else. Now, the hard part, the easy part is doing every, all these five steps. The hard part is ignoring everything else. So today I'll kind of share some personal stories as I talk about these steps and try to help you understand um, my journey and how I got to where I got to today uh, for someone who was a habitual overspender in debt up to his eyeballs and had a financial literacy score of zero <laughs> I couldn't probably tell you what a stock was or what a bond was uh, to now, uh, you know, being a financial coach, having a somewhat successful financial coaching business, um, having a media education company in monkey finance that, you know, I run these podcasts, YouTube channel. Um, you know, I'd like to say that uh, in, in a short four years, I've come a long way and I love sharing my story and my journey in hopes to inspire people that are, uh, at similar starting points like I was back in 2018. At the end of the day, um, you know, me in 2018 is, is, is the average American, I feel like. Um, and those are the people that I want to speak to and speak uh, uh, about because they're the ones that need the help. Uh, a lot of people that, that listen to me um, are, are very intelligent and they know their stuff. And I'm hard-pressed to say this, but they're not my target audience. While I love you guys, I really do, and I think we have some engaging conversations, you're not my target audience. My target audience is that person who, who's sitting there looking at a, a mountain uh, of debt in front of them, and they have no idea where to take the first step. Um, same as you know, me and my wife in 2018 sitting at our dining room table, opening up the statements and just looking at those uh, balances on student loans, on car loans, on credit cards, and just thinking, how the heck are we ever going to uh, afford to, to make a payment the next month, let alone how the heck are we going to pay this thing off? Um, so those are the people I'm talking to. But uh, of course, I, I welcome everybody to listen, to join into the conversation. It's, it's just more fun that way. So let's start off with our triangle here. Um, the base level or the basement of the triangle is to live on less than you make my God, is this not only the first step, this is the most crucial step. If you cannot master living on less than you make, you're going to have a very, very hard time becoming financially free. 
I'm not saying it's impossible. Nothing in this world is impossible. We all have to believe everything's possible. But my God, if you cannot learn to live on less than you make, and this means that if you make $4,000 a month, you better not be spending $4,000 a month. Um, there's usually two issues here. One is is a behavioral issue. And in my experience, and I've been a financial coach since June of 2019, um, most people that I sit and talk to, and now I talk to them via Zoom, not anymore in person, but most of them have a behavioral problem. And it's very easy to spot. Uh, it's usually either the husband or the wife. One of them is the spender. And uh, they're they're trying to get their spending under control. Um, and it's just not working, right? And they're, they're coming at it from a logical um, sense, and they need to be coming at it from a behavioral sense, right? Like you have to change the the behavioral side of your spending to uh, live on less than you make. So for me, you know, living on less than I make looks like this. Uh, in, in 2013, I had just graduated college a year ago, had my first full-time job making $40,000 a year, and I'm spending $40,000 a year because now I have a, a mortgage and taxes and all that stuff, have a car payment, uh, which I didn't have before, of course, now, you know, I'm not living in mom and dad's basement anymore. I got to be a big boy and buy my own groceries, pay my own car insurance, my own cell phone bill and all that stuff. And I quickly ran out of money. I don't think that version of me in 2013 had a behavioral problem. I was on the other side of the spectrum. I had an income problem. Um, in 2013, I was supporting me and my fiance at the time, now my wife, um, because she was 20 years old, still a sophomore or junior in college i forget now but you know she was off to school and i were kind of a one income household <laughs> trying to make it off forty thousand dollars a year in chicago which is not easy to do and you know we we were scraping by we were you know shopping at uh discount outlet stores for our clothes you know shopping at aldi for our groceries uh you know trying to make it off 60 70 bucks a week off groceries and you know it's it's doable but it was scraping by. So I realized that, you know, I had an income problem. So I did something about it the next year and I decided to get a commercial driver's license. Another bright genius idea of mine. I saw a flyer um, by Schneider of all companies and uh, they said, oh, you know, guaranteed $80,000 a year if you come drive for us. I said, heck, why not? So I went up to Green Bay and did my um, uh, sort of training it was about a month long, and I uh, before I knew it, I was a commercial truck driver. And I, I, I drove a truck over the road. I drove a truck regionally out of the rail yards here in Chicago. Eventually, I um, went to go work for a, a family truck driving company. A cousin of mine started a trucking company, and uh, we, he was hauling flatbed uh, loads. So these are like the open trailers where you got to strap them down and tarp them. So we did that, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and um, I realized, well, now I'm making the money. I, I jumped up from 40000 to 80000 But being newly married, I don't see my wife at all. And most marriages, especially in the early um, early stages, you know, if you're not hanging out together, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult. So I quit that and um, kind of got lucky again and got into construction management field. And started making 140000 So here I am fixing the income problem. 
you know, uh, in 2013, I'm making 40,000 and, uh, three years later I'm making 140,000. But all of a sudden I develop a behavioral problem and I still don't know how to live on less than I make because now I'm spending 140,000. And this is where I think a lot of people find themselves. I don't think a lot of us have an income problem. I think a lot of us have a behavioral problem. My behavioral problem was, um, I had to go out every weekend, had to buy bottles at the club. I um, partied way too much, um, was very reckless in my spending, um, and uh, eventually developed what I would probably call a gambling addiction as well. Probably wasn't maybe borderline gambling addiction, but uh, I was at the casino more more uh, than I would have liked to be looking back at it. And it wasn't like... Um, it was, you know, playing 20 bucks. It was hundreds, thousands of dollars that I'm talking about here. Um, credit card spending was another behavioral issue that I, I had back then where I couldn't, um, I couldn't say no when I had a credit card in my hand or in my pocket, in my wallet. So whether we're on vacation, whether I was anywhere, um, and a small example of this is literally like swiping a credit card at the um, hotel vending machine. <laughs> I remember one time I charged up like 15 bucks off a vending machine on my credit card for some late night snacks after a night out of drinking. Um, that's, you know, that's just a small example. The other examples, of course, are uh, on the road, um, buying souvenirs for everybody, uh, buying uh, expensive dinners, um wasn't uncommon for us to, you know, have a nice uh, dinner when we're out and about. And, uh, you know, hundreds of dollars is what I'm talking about. And, of course, you know, the mentality here of, of a young man, I was in my, at this point in my mid-20s, uh, still immature, I think. I think, you know, I didn't really start to mature until I turned 30. And now, uh, even later, when my son was born, was really when I think the matura- maturation process for me started. But, a young man back then in my mid-20s with all that money um, was not good. Uh, I did not know how to live on less than I made. If I had the same mindset that I have today uh, seven years ago, I'd be a freaking millionaire by now. But I didn't. And this is where I'm talking about this is the most crucial step. Once you learn on how to live on less than you make, and there's many different ways you can do this. You can get a budgeting app. I highly encourage people to download a free budgeting app and input how much they're going to spend in each various category and stick to that. And you kind of forcing yourself to live on less than you make. As a financial coach, I give people tips and tricks like getting a printing out their statement, getting a few different multicolor highlighters, like a yellow highlighter and a blue highlighter and everything that's a, a necessity highlighting yellow and everything that's a want, but not necessarily a necessity, a highlight in blue. And if your um, statement at the end looks more blue than yellow, then you got a problem. And that's an easy way to cut out those blue things because they're not necessities. You can still survive without them. And then um, I think online spending is another one uh, that I see a lot as a financial coach. Um, a lot of people have addictions when it comes to spending on Amazon or on Target. Uh, or whatever your online platform of choice is. But one simple way to eliminate that is to create a barrier between you spending online, uh, meaning that 
your debit or credit card information is not pre-saved in your app um, or your uh, shop, wherever you're shopping. Your, your information is not in there. You have to manually punch it in. Uh, that creates a barrier. Another way to create a barrier is to delete the app and force yourself to use the website. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> Has anybody ever tried using Amazon.com from their phone versus the app? Uh, the app's much better, right? So, uh, you know, creating a barrier to spending will help teach you how to live on less than you make, of course, creating a budget and sticking to it. Um, and, and more importantly is your mindset. Um, behavior can change. Uh, behavior, I feel like, is is learned. Um, so just like I learned to blow $150,000 a year. Now I'm learning how to save it. <laughs> and uh, it's possible. Uh, I've, I've flipped the script here in four years, and I'm confident you guys can too. Uh, so that the first and most crucial step is to learn on how to live on less than you make. Next step is going to be to pay off uh, your debt and become debt-free. This one, I feel like I get a lot of pushback from people too. Now, there's uh, a camp that thinks there's good debt and bad debt. I, I, I'm not part of that camp. I think there is no such thing as good debt. Um, all debt is bad, in my opinion. Um, all debt means is you, you're, um, you're, you're shackled by your master until you repay them in full. And I don't, I don't like being slave to anybody. So um, being debt-free, becoming debt-free in 2019, except the mortgage, and then later on in 2021, uh, after the sale of that last property we had the mortgage on, 100% debt-free. Of course, now I have another mortgage, so I'm not 100% debt-free, but this one's only a 15-year fixed at 2.5%, and I'm looking to pay that off in about five to seven years anyway. So I'll get there again, but you know, not having to make a credit card payment at the end of the month, not having to make a car payment, a student loan payment, a personal loan payment, a medical bill, you you name it, not having to make that payment is the most liberating thing in the world. And I've been on both sides of the aisle. I've been on the side that all the money comes in and all the money goes out to payments. And that side did not work. I was broke with a negative net worth, meaning I owed more than I owned. And now being on this side where I'm free and my paycheck and my wife's paycheck comes in every month and we go, well, you know, of course we got to pay the mortgage and uh, the little uh, utility bills that we have. And after that, um, it's really uh, allocating a couple hundred bucks for food and other uh, discretionary type spendings every week. The rest of the money is ours and it gets divvied up into our retirement accounts, gets divvied up into our kids' account for education or for other uh, life goals. It gets divvied up into our uh, general investing account for our early retirement and our travel plans. And it's such a liberating feeling to have control of your money. And the only way you're going to get control is when you become debt-free. I'm not saying you can't reach financial independence with debt. It's just a lot harder. Uh, And and this path uh, that I keep talking about is should be if you follow these five steps, it should be like a straight line to financial independence. If you don't deviate, it's just a straight shot. You can get there. Uh, debt is one of those things that will help you deviate off the path, off the right path, in my opinion, and into a path you probably don't want to be in. Now, as far as paying off the debt, I do like, because I, I really still strongly believe in, in all these years that I've been doing this now, that 
money is is emotional money is a behavioral thing and when it comes to paying off debt i think you need those wins that's why i like using dave ramsey's method of, of the debt snowball uh listing out all your debts largest to smallest regardless of the interest rate and attacking the smallest one first while making minimum payments on all the rest that is the plan i followed and i did it in 11 months 11 freaking months $87,000. But that's what happens when you live on less than you make and you start attacking debt. You start getting intentional. So that's my recommendation for, for debt. Um, I don't think you should use it. Um, and this includes credit cards as well. Of course, I think there is some necessities like mortgages, which I'm personally not against. Uh, I, I do think you should still strive to get it paid off. Um, regardless of what the numbers say, Regardless of how small the interest rate is, I think you should strive to uh, to get it paid off because later on, if if you say, I've become debt-free and I'm completely miserable and I want to go back into debt, then go back into debt. You always have that option, right? But you you, you it's hard to become debt-free. It's always easier to go back into debt. Um, the next step here, step number three in our triangle, is to max out tax advantage accounts. This is another one here now that we're talking about investing and no, uh, no longer about money management. I want to say that a lot of the advice that I see online is people talking about taxable accounts. Not a lot of people are telling the the true way to do this is to use tax advantage accounts. That's what people should be talking about. Tax advantage accounts, meaning that your money in there is growing either tax-free in the Roth option, meaning you've already paid taxes and it grows tax-free, or in a traditional sense, a pre-tax option where it grows tax-deferred, meaning you haven't paid uh, income taxes yet on that uh, money that you've invested, but it gets to grow uh, tax-deferred and then you, you pay the taxes later. Whichever option you have um, is fine. Ideally, I think tax-free is the better way. If you are currently in a lower tax bracket, for example, um, I'm in the 12% tax bracket. Hallelujah. Um, did that happen this year? As a household, we think we made no, $88,000. So I'm in the uh, 12% tax bracket. So I take advantage of Roths all day long because I barely paid any money in income tax. And um, to be able to lock in uh, a 12% tax rate today uh, and have that money be tax-free in the future where I could potentially be making more, my tax bracket might be higher. Maybe the government just raises taxes. Huh? Wouldn't that be a surprise, right? So I think it's important to do that if you're in a lower tax bracket. If you're in a higher tax bracket, it's probably good to use both. Uh, uh, but either way, you should be using tax advantage accounts. These are IRAs, IRAs, individual retirement accounts. These are employer-sponsored 401ks or TSPs or 403bs, 457s. These are HSAs, health savings accounts. These are 529 education accounts. Uh, UPMA accounts if you're saving for a minor or a kid. Now, those, are again, are not as tax advantage uh, as some of the uh, previous accounts I've listed, but they're still better than a taxable account. Literally, the taxable account should be the last account that you contribute money to. And until all these other things are maxed out, I, I, I see only one scenario 
where you should have a taxable account. And that is if you're saving for a mid to long-term goal uh, or you're looking to retire early uh, before the age of 59 and a half. So if you're saving for a house, let's say that's a seven to 10 year goal, you should probably do that in a taxable account versus a savings account and potentially earn yourself a few extra thousands of dollars there in your down payment. Also, if you're like me and you're planning to retire, yeah, and I technically, I guess I'm retired. I retired in March of 2021, but I still do all this stuff here on the side in my free time, but I, I don't have a full-time job. So my taxable account is my buffer. It's my emergency fund. It's my rainy day fund. It's my, I'm retired early. I might need the income fund. It's, I'm going to need a new pickup truck and an RV fund. It's a multi-purpose fund. So, you know, funding that, putting extra money into that is fine as long as you're still maxing out your tax advantage accounts. You shouldn't be uh, trying to, uh, you know, use a taxable account first and then worrying about tax advantage accounts later. It should be the other way around. And if you can do this successfully, you'll ensure a very smooth uh, finish line to, to financial freedom. Now, this fourth step is not just using the right account types, but using the right investment products. Now, there's countless and countless of investment products out there. There's cryptocurrencies. There is mutual funds. There's ETFs. There's individual stocks. There's bonds. Commodities such as gold and silver and precious metals, oil. I mean, corn. If you wanted to trade corn futures, you could. Uh, Forex trading, trading currencies. Um, I'm probably missing a lot here, but... uh, yeah, I guess now with NFTs uh, and artwork, uh, that's another investment type, if you will, or an investment asset class. Um, I'm here to report. It's all BS. You really need a few low-cost, broadly diversified index funds here to deploy into these tax advantage accounts. So my recommendation, as always, is to use a uh, total U.S. stock market index fund like a VTSAX or FSKX or VTI or uh, ITOT, something along those lines, even S&P 500 here would be appropriate. And about 60% of your allocation should be there. I think another 20% should go to a total international index fund. Uh, This is something like a VTIX or FTIHX, uh, VXUS, those types of funds. And then the last 20% should be a a U.S. small cap value. Uh, This is going to be a VSAIX, FISVX, uh, VBR, VTWV, VIOV, even uh, I guess you can lump AVUV in there. Uh, And this is no more than 20%. Now, for some of you who are older, um, probably over the age of 40, or maybe even closer to 50, think you should have a bond portion as well in your strategy. In my strategy, the plan is uh, to take away from the U.S. side, the total U.S. market, to allocate to a total U.S. bond market uh, index fund like a uh, VBTLX or a, a FXNAX from Fidelity or a BND on the ETF side. And I plan on doing that uh, 1% a year after I cross age 40. And I think I will stop 
once I cross uh, H70 at a 70-30 portfolio where it's 70% um, in equities and 30% in bonds. That's the plan anyways. Of course, you know, stuff can change. But I do recommend that for older folks uh, to, one, for uh, really risk diversification. You don't want to be 100% equities approaching retirement. That could be a scary situation where, you know, the market crashes 20% and your million dollars is now worth 800000 That's a scary time, especially when you have to draw on, on stocks when they're down. The portfolio starts shrinking really fast. Uh, but that's it. Those three or four index mutual funds or ETFs is all you need. You don't want to dabble in active managed um, funds. You don't want to dabble in cryptocurrencies. You don't want to dabble in individual stocks. And, you know, before I get too far along on my rant on that is the the last step once you've, you know, selected those three to four funds is to forget about your investments. And this is where the dabbling uh, comes into play. I've gotten so good at this is that I I don't check my investments. I don't care uh, what they're doing in the week, a month, even a year. I don't really care because I'm not needing them now. I know the allocation that I said is appropriate for me and my risk tolerance. And I know that if the market crashes 50%, it won't change my strategy, right? I don't react to what the market does. That's insanity. Um, and I know that sounds like it's wrong. It sounds like you should do something. Uh, but a famous, uh, John Bogle quote is, don't just do something, stand there. And if you can live by those words, I think you will be a very successful investor who will find financial freedom. If you are an active investor, and this is primarily what I see online, what I see on YouTube, most YouTubers that show their stuff, they're active investors. They're buying and they're selling. They're switching from this to that. More than likely... More than likely, you're going to hinder your performance by doing that. You're going to make the wrong decision at the wrong time. Very, very few times you're going to make the right decision. And of course, you won't know until you look back on it. You're not going to know when you, when as you're making the decision, you're not going to know. And this is why I think the top uh, part of this triangle is to forget about your investments. And this is something you should strive to do is because we don't know. So don't tinker with what you don't know. Um, and it's hard to convey this message to beginner investors because what they see online is a bunch of YouTubers who are changing stuff all the time, changing strategies, changing stocks, changing asset classes, and they think this is the right way. Well, I'm here to tell you, don't do nothing. Just stand there. Once you get this uh, triangle figured out and You've got everything set up, just stand there. Or even better, just forget about it. And then 30 years from now, open up your statements and chances are you're going to have a lot of money. You might even need a, a heart surgeon by your side in case you go into cardiac arrest. Well, that's the triangle, folks. Um, another theme of the book here as I'm working on this book, man. First of all, writing a book is very difficult uh, is what I've come to realize. <laughs> Two, um, my thoughts around the book are that uh, when I sit down to write, I, I got nothing. And then like at two in the morning, all of a sudden I get this brilliant idea how this triangle came about. And, you know, got my little infant there sleeping in the crib and 
my wife sleeping in bed and I'm here on my laptop trying to hide the, you know, screen under the cover. So I'm not waking anybody up and typing away. But, you know, I think this book is is really going to be the simplest read for anybody, uh, whether you're uh, a fifth grader or a 50-year-old, should be able to pick up this book, read it, and understand what I'm trying to say and understand what I'm trying to teach you because it's really that simple. Um, and if you try to complicate it any further than this, in my opinion, you're over complicating things. You need to really simplify it and dumb it down so that a fifth grader can understand it and you can explain it at a fifth grade level uh, to, to anybody that asks, hey, what's your investing philosophy or what's your money management uh, philosophy. So that's it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Excited to be back here on the podcast. As always, you guys can help me out here on the podcast uh, by leaving me a rating and a review. The way you do that is if you're listening on the Apple podcast side, um, if you scroll down to the uh, the bottom of my page under Monkey Finance, there's going to be a star rating. Uh, and uh, a place for you to even write in a review. If you want to be so kind and leave me that review, I will leave it, uh, read it live on the air. So far, we've gotten 23 ratings, 4.6 out of 5 stars. So thank you so much. Uh, no new reviews have been written. So if you want yours read, uh, go ahead and leave me a, a written review, and I'll gladly uh, read it live on the air. Last thing I ask is please share this podcast with friends and family members. We're either struggling financially or are trying to learn how to uh, be better stewards of their money or trying to learn financial literacy, but they're trying to do it the right way. Go ahead and send them uh, this podcast, send them my YouTube channel. And um, really, at the end of the day, my goal is to help the everyday person become better with their money. Um, and as long as there's air in my lungs and my heart's beating, uh, I'm not going to stop until I'm uh, successful. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember, move obstacles, keep investing.